0: Over the last three weeks, we have been considering Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we've been looking at Jesus' teaching there to his disciples as it relates to true and false righteousness. A righteousness that is, as Jesus puts it there in that passage, kingdom of heaven worthy. Maybe not exactly in those words, but that's essentially what he's talking about. A true righteousness that is kingdom of heaven worthy. And then a righteousness that is not kingdom of heaven worthy. He says this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious people of Jesus' day, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the most religious, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So you see there, this is talking about true righteousness that is kingdom of heaven worthy or not kingdom of heaven worthy. And those that would have heard that teaching from Jesus would have probably been shocked by that teaching because his followers were just the normal people, the average Joes, if you will, of Israel during that day. The people who were the fishermen, the farmers, the carpenters, the tax collectors, the common people. And so They were not the hyper-religious, they were not the super-spiritual sort of people, but they were the people that had been traveling with Jesus from place to place throughout all of Galilee, everywhere he went. They had seen him heal those who were sick. They had seen him cast demons out of those people that were demonized. They had seen Jesus by this time perform mighty works. By now, news was probably spreading around that entire area about jesus's miracle at the wedding in cana of galilee you can read about that in john's gospel no doubt some of the people had heard peter's news about the miraculous catch that jesus had caused peter to bring in you can read about that in the gospel of luke i believe in chapter 5. jesus's disciples had heard his teaching and they were beginning to recognize that he was probably more than just a traveling itinerant rabbi but this teaching where he said to them that your righteousness needs to be greater than the most righteous, the most religious, or you have no hope of getting into heaven. That would have been shocking because those individuals, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were, or at least they were presumed to be the most righteous people. And if Pharisees have no hope of getting into heaven based upon their goodness and their righteousness, well, then it certainly is true that those people would have little hope if they were fishermen, farmers, carpenters, tax collectors, and the zealots among Mm -hmm. Jesus' disciples. But Jesus' teaching throughout the Sermon on the Mount reveals that the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was not as it seemed. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were religiously and superficially self-righteous, but they were not truly righteous. Jesus' teaching that true righteousness is not found in showy religious ritualism. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were were really good at the superficial showy self-righteousness. They did good works, but they did their good works to be seen by and admired by other people. They fasted and they prayed but they did those things to receive the praise of other people. They would pray standing in the streets or in the synagogues and they would pray really loud and long prayers so that people would see them and just be in awe of their spirituality. And not only did they do these religious rituals in such a way that they would gain the esteem and admiration of other people, but they trusted in themselves. Luke chapter 18 says that these scribes and Pharisees, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and as a result, they despised others. They looked down at people who were not as good as them or who could not keep the law in the way that they did or who were not as wealthy as them because they believed that their wealth and they were kind of the upper class within Judaism. They believed that their wealth proved that they also had God's blessing because they were of course righteousness because of their righteousness. But inwardly, the scriptures say very clearly that they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They hated people who were outside of their group. And effectively, based upon Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter six, their hatred was like causing murder within their hearts. They lusted after other people. And again, according to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter six, that was committing adultery in their heart and in their mind. They broke their commitments and their oaths and they retaliated against those that they considered their enemies. They boasted in their righteousness And this is why Jesus would caution his followers and he would say to them, take heed and beware of what he called the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were another group of religious leaders. Take heed or beware of the leaven of them. Now, leaven, that is what you put into bread dough to cause it to rise, yeast. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Their their sin and their doctrine, their way of life, it was infectious and could lead you astray. It would not be good for you. So their teaching and their way of life was not to be admired or emulated. It's not to be followed after. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus presents an explicit contrast between true and false and acceptable and unacceptable righteousness. And Jesus's exhortation could not be clearer when talking about the vanity and the pretentiousness of the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, Jesus says incredibly clearly, do not be like them. You can find that in Matthew chapter six. So in this passage, we are given two ways of life. We are also going to see, as we continue in our passage today, we are gonna see two kinds of trees and then the two kinds of fruit that come from those trees we're gonna consider two builders and the two foundations of those builders. So we see this contrast back and forth, and the Bible is full of contrasts like this from beginning to end. You go back to the Old Testament book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and we have the contrast of true and false righteousness in the lives of Abel and Cain, or in the life of Noah and the people of his day, or in the life of Abraham and his nephew Lot, or. Abraham and the king of Shechem, or you know, there's a number of different places. We also have the contrast between Isaac and Ishmael, or Jacob and Esau, or Joseph and his brothers, or Moses and Pharaoh, or Joshua and Caleb against the other 10 spies, or King Saul and King David, or Israel versus the prophets. On and on the contrasts go. Everywhere you look throughout the Old Testament, you can find these contrasts between true and false righteousness, a righteousness that is acceptable before God and a righteousness that is not acceptable before God. And the contrasts that we find are illustrative and they are really instructive when you take the time to consider them and look at them. So as we come to the final section of Jesus's sermon here in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have a series of illustrative and instructive contrasts for the followers of Christ, those who are his disciples. This message was for Jesus's disciples. If you go back to where we started in Matthew chapter five, it was when Jesus saw the multitudes that he went and he sat down and his disciples, his followers came to him and he teaches them. So in this passage, in this last section in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven is where we're gonna be today. We're gonna see two ways of life or or two paths of life, two kinds of trees and two kinds of fruit two builders and two different kinds of foundation. And perhaps the most striking and even frightening words of scripture are found in this passage that we're gonna be going through in Matthew chapter seven. So this is the final teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And it brings us back to a place of decision in our lives. Life is always and will always be a series of decisions and choices. Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, which we actually had been studying through earlier this year. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, he makes this very clear when we read these words in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over to the Jordan to go to possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord, your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land, which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Those are powerful words from Moses there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, choose life. It seems like an appropriate word with all of the current news that's going around having to do with the Supreme Court here in the United States. So Jesus begins the conclusion of his sermon for his followers here in Matthew chapter seven, beginning at verse 13, saying this, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Moses said that life and death, blessing and cursing are are set before you, to which he exhorted the people in his day thousands of years ago saying, choose life that you may live. And Jesus here in this passage, he says there is a narrow path and there's also a wide path. The wide path leads to destruction and the narrow path leads to life. There are many paths that lead to destruction. But there is only one narrow way to life, Jesus says. The view that is common in our time here in 2022 in the Western world is that all paths ultimately lead to life and eternity. And that is not true. There is one narrow path to life in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. Now, this is not only contrary to the common view in our time, but it is also so incompatible with the inclusivist mindset of 21st century Western culture that such a view is condemned as abhorrent and reprehensible. It's considered to be hateful and accursed to say that there's only one way to God and only one way into eternity. What I find fascinating is that there are a lot of people who find this kind of teaching, abhorrent, who say they don't even believe in God or the afterlife, and yet they they think it's a problem that Christians think there's only one way into eternal life. So I I find it fascinating that people get really upset about this. But in the context of what Jesus is teaching here in this passage, life, as he talks about it in Matthew chapter 7, I believe there at verse 14, as we just saw, he is speaking about life beyond this life. Jesus speaks of everlasting and eternal life. The context of this passage, going back to the opening words that we found in Matthew chapter 5 were very clear that he was focusing on the kingdom of heaven. We read there in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we saw the idea of the kingdom of heaven again in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, which we talked about just a few minutes ago, having to do with the scribes and the Pharisees. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we're gonna see the idea of the kingdom of heaven come up again when we get down to verse 21 in Matthew chapter seven in just a few minutes. So when Jesus says in this passage, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads into life, he's talking about the path into eternal life and into the kingdom of heaven. And the path is not a path of ritualistic religious observance. That kind of life that just follows ritualistic religiosity is the broad way that leads to, as Jesus says in this passage, destruction. It is the well-worn broad path. That is the path of really every religion. Every religion says that enlightenment, eternity, and everlasting life are found in doing or not doing certain things in certain ways at certain times. Religious righteousness is relatively easy If I give you a list, or if you give me a list of do's or don'ts, I can probably adhere to that list list, or at least I can keep that list better than somebody else. And then that makes me more righteous than them. So I feel like, well, I did these things better than all those other people. So because I did better than all of those other people, I should get into eternity. But that really is only a superficial, skin deep sort of righteousness. It won't be true, Kingdom of Heaven worthy righteousness, the kind that God is looking for. True righteousness, as we already saw there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, it needs to exceed, it needs to be greater than the superficial self-righteousness that you and I might be able to accomplish by just keeping a list of do's and don'ts. The narrow path that leads to life is much more difficult than the ritualistic religiosity. I mean, anybody can kind of do the religion thing, and there's a certain part of religion that our nature really likes, because we feel like, well, I can do that. I can do all these do's and don'ts. And then as long as I do it better than other people, I feel pretty good about myself. So in comparison, it is much easier to do right things before men, to appear righteous before men. It's much easier doing that than it is to be truly righteous before a holy and righteous God. Because if the standard is other people, you know, looking around, then then I can look pretty good. I can judge all the other people and say, well, in comparison to all those people, I look pretty good. But if the standard or the measuring rod is, is God's righteousness, then I'm in a very difficult state. There's no way that I can be better than God. So Jesus in this passage, he is cautioning us against a faux righteousness, a false righteousness that just does or doesn't do certain things to try and be right. And then he's calling us to a true righteousness, but not only does he call us to a true righteousness, he tells us in this passage how we are able to apprehend or lay hold of that righteousness. Righteousness is not according to my good deeds. It's not based upon me giving to the poor charitably. Although charity is important, I don't wanna lessen that. I mean, there's, there's good things to be had in charity. But Jesus teaches that charity is not the path to righteousness. And righteousness is not about my prayer life, although prayer is necessary. It's a necessary component of your life as a follower of God. Righteousness is not according to fasting, doing kind of ritualistic fasting, though fasting can be an important aspect of faith as well. Righteousness is not measured by earthly wealth, even though many of the people in Jesus's day felt that it wasn't many people in our day feel that it is as well. To be truly righteous, one must acknowledge first that they have a lack of righteousness they need to recognize their deficit of spiritual righteousness that's what we found in matthew chapter 5 verse 3 where jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit and then not only do they recognize their lack of spiritual righteousness but they also must humbly grieve for that deficit jesus says in matthew 5 verse 4 and 5 he says blessed are the meek and blessed are those who mourn. And that's speaking of humility and grief over our own lostness and sinfulness. And then that leads into Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, that they must hunger and thirst for a righteousness is not, that is not their own. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, says Matthew 5, verse 6. This is, I believe, the difficult, narrow way. You may not believe me, but it is much easier to appear righteous before other people by doing all the culturally or traditionally or religiously right things it's much more difficult to do that than it is to recognize your spiritual righteous depravity or deficit to mourn over it and to humbly hunger and thirst for true righteousness the narrow path that leads to life it requires a right recognition of who i am before a holy and righteous god and then a meek and humble desire for a righteousness that is not my own, that is ultimately given to me in and through and by Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus could say in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me. He is the only way. There is only one path, a narrow gate and a narrow path that leads to life. But though all of this, I believe, is true, Jesus goes on in his teaching here in Matthew chapter 7, and he says this in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. "'Every tree that does not bear good fruit "'is cut down and thrown into the fire. "'Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them.'" Jesus teaches here that there are many false prophets pointing to many false paths. And all of those paths, those wide paths, they ultimately lead to destruction. They also often look like good paths because those that are pointing to those paths are, well, they appear to be good prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And so Jesus's exhortation is crucial for his disciples. He says, beware of these false prophets. The apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4 that there are many false prophets that will go out into the world. And then the apostle Peter also writes in one of his letters that these false prophets, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. So how do we identify false prophets so that we can beware of them. Well, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. And he goes on and says, even so every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. By the fruits of the false prophets, you will be able to identify who they are. Now, those are beautiful words, but what exactly do they mean? They mean that we need to consider and judge the outcomes or the fruit of an individual's life, especially someone who is posing as a leader, a spiritual leader for people in the world or directing them into meaning and life and eternity. We need to judge the outcomes, the fruit of their lives. So what are the outcomes that we're looking for? Well, true righteousness, according to what Jesus has taught so far in the Sermon on the Mount, it is characterized by humility and meekness and grace and mercy and peace but superficial self-righteousness. It is characterized by pompous shows of religiosity. It is shown by greed for wealth. And so we need to make sure that we are considering those people who stand out as spiritual or religious leaders or prophets. And a prophet is kind of professing to you the way, the path into life. We need to make sure that we assess and consider their lives. Paul the apostle in one of his letters, actually two places in his letters in first Timothy and Titus, he actually gives kind of a list that we should be aware of when we are considering people who are to be leaders that should be esteemed and looked up to. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter three, he says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires a position of a bishop, this is an overseeing leader, he desires a good work. So the overseeing leader, the bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, but one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, a beginner, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those that are outside, those people are not believers, not in the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, while each of those points are, I think, really important from the Apostle Paul, Some of them really stand out as things that we should be keenly aware of when we are looking around the world for people that we should or should not follow. He says that those individuals should not be greedy for money. They should not be quarrelsome. They should not be covetous and they should not be puffed up with pride. So when Jesus says by their fruits, you're gonna be able to see who they are. These are things that ultimately over time, you're not gonna be able to hide. It's gonna be clear that the person is, you know, greedy for money, quarrelsome, covetous, and puffed up with pride. And those are the kind of people who Paul in his letters and Jesus also in his teaching would say, those are not the kind of people that you wanna follow. You wanna depart from those kind of people. And why is this so vitally important, this teaching here? Well, Jesus continues, Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. And this is that passage that I was mentioning earlier that is maybe one of the most frightening passages in all of the scripture. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Without a doubt, this is one of the most striking and frightening passages of the scripture. And It teaches a a challenging thing that there will be many false disciples who will be cast out of the kingdom. As I said, that's one of the most frightening things to consider. Jesus makes very clear that it is not about the state of our profession. There will be many who will say, Lord, Lord. They, They profess the right things, they call Jesus Lord. So it's not about the state of our profession. It's not about miraculous activity in Jesus's name, people performing prophecies or miracles in his name. Prophecies or wondrous works in Jesus's name are not proof. They are not validation of genuine faith or true righteousness. In fact, in the scriptures, we find that there will be lying signs and wonders that are done by false followers of Jesus. So just because someone is able to demonstrate some sort of power or they speak prophetically does not mean that they are someone that you should follow. So we need to take careful note that there are those who do things in Jesus's name, but they neither know him nor are they known by him. They do not have a relationship with him truly. And in addition to the good things that they might do in his name, they also practice lawlessness. There are false professors, false prophets who falsely identify themselves with Jesus. They use Jesus's name to their own earthly advantage but they will have no eternal reward, no entry into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus said that the superficially self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, they have their reward here and now. He said that three times in Matthew chapter six, but there will be no eternal reward in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven for them. So who is it that is going to have access to or entrance into the kingdom of heaven? Well, Previously, we found back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now, in addition to that, we are informed that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but note this, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So that, of course, begs the question, if doing the will of the Father in heaven is the path into the kingdom of heaven, What exactly is God's will? Well, at least a couple of things come to mind. One of them we're going to see in the next section in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. We'll look at that in just a moment. But another thing that stands out to me are some of Jesus' words in the gospel of John in John chapter six, there in verse 39, we read this. This is the will of the father. Couldn't get any more explicit than this. This is the will of the Father who sent me, Jesus says, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at that last day. And this is the will of him, the Father who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus said very much the same thing just prior to that in the same passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. He says, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So then we come back to two things frequently in our study of the scriptures. True righteousness is accounted to those who have faith in and faithfulness to Christ. Just as we see in this passage, those who do the sayings of Jesus and those who believe in Christ, who trust in Christ. So true righteousness is accounted to those that have faith in and faithfulness to Christ. For those that do not trust in Christ or follow him faithfully, they follow his word. Jesus says that on that day of judgment, he will say to them, I never knew you depart from me. A relationship with the Lord that he knows you and you know him is essential. Jesus taught in John chapter 17, verse three, that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ, having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know God through Jesus Christ, you have no hope of entry into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus has contrasted two paths or ways of life, the narrow path and the wide path. And then he contrasts two different kinds of trees yielding two different kinds of fruit. Good trees yield good fruit, bad trees yield bad fruit. And now we come to the passage where we consider the two builders and the two foundations. Look at Matthew 7 verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, if you're the kind of person who likes to underline things in the scripture, that's a good thing to underline and does them. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, you should underline that, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall in a later section of the New Testament, written by the brother of Jesus, or one of the brothers of Jesus named James, the apostle James writes this with the same kind of theme of what Jesus is teaching here in this passage in Matthew 7. He says this in James chapter 1 verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that is the scriptures, and continues in it, does what the scriptures say, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. These are such important truths for us to understand, to apply into our lives as followers and disciples of Christ. It is possible to build a good life on a shallow foundation, And perhaps many have, for Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things in your name? And he will say, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So it's possible that many people can build the foundation of their lives on a shallow foundation. And then the storms of life, they they have a way of revealing the lack of a solid foundation. But why risk the catastrophe of a great fall? It's much better, much wiser, to build from the start on a solid foundation. How do you do that? Well, faithfulness to Christ and proof of true faith in him are seen in my obedience to his word. At the end of the day, a disciple is simply an obedient follower of Jesus. And the only way that you can be an obedient follower of Jesus is to get to know him through his word. That is how he has revealed his nature and his will. And the more that you get to know him from his word, the more you will be brought back to a humble, mournful acknowledgement of your spiritual deficits, bringing you to a place of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, a righteousness that is not your own, that doesn't come through prayer or fasting or good works or charity or your wealth, but comes in and through Jesus Christ alone. He is the only path. He is the narrow way. The sons of God, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my name's sake, Jesus says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets who were before you. Powerful teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. As we see Jesus revealed in a powerful way through his very words. And it's my hope that you'll take some of these things to heart if you haven't listened to the previous three messages that we went through in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. I would encourage you to go back and check those out on our YouTube channel or our website, lifeandconnection.com. But it's fascinating that at the very end of this passage in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was done teaching his disciples, we read this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people, his disciples, They were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, not like the religious leaders who constantly would say, you know, this rabbi says this and this rabbi says this and this rabbi says this. Jesus says, I say to you, this is the path. This is the only way. Those are important things for us to take heed to, to listen to. Father God, I pray that you would cause us to take your word into our hearts and that we would think about it this week and that you would work a work of transformation in us, that we would not be those that have a shallow foundation on sand, but we have a deep and strong foundation, strongly built upon you and your word. And that we are those who are following you faithfully and obediently as you empower us to do so by your Holy Spirit. So God, would you work a work in me and in my brothers and sisters, that we would end up being a great light to a world that is in such desperate need of your grace and truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.